Pranakasha live stream. Hey folks, it's Matt at Pranakash Productions, and today we are talking with Brian Cox, a Doctor Who fan film enthusiast from the UK. Actually, I should say producer of Doctor Who fan films. So, uh, Brian, let me ask you this. like, um, How old were you when you first watched your very first Doctor Who show? I personally don't remember it, but my dad said it was um, me sitting on his lap watching The Five Doctors. So, okay. um, I mean, I was born in 82, so I, I think that one wasn't too long after that. Are you looking at, what, 84 for that? Something like 85? Okay. So yeah, you were so, three um, years old. That probably sounds about right, yeah, and been hooked on it ever since. Not quite so much as a young'un, I was more into my wrestling until I realized it wasn't real. Because um, as a kid, you, you like seeing people get uh, get beaten to a pulp, don't you, and thrown out of uh, wrestling rings. But once once you once you get told it's it's just it's just for sure. Yeah, you're like, well, oh man, no way. <laughs> and uh, yeah. since then, my, my love for who's just grown and grown and grown until the point where I'm now getting chased around my, my little town by rubber monsters and running in and out of police box. <laughs> police, speaking of police boxes, of course, I have a shirt that... Wait. Yeah. yeah. Darn it. Love Wait, it. it's mirror image, so I can't really... Okay, which side is it on? There. It's on, yeah. Yeah, very nice. Yeah. I've gone there. And seventh it's, myself. And it's got um, Van Gogh painting, right? Built into it, yeah. Starry man. night. Oh. and and then of course, I also have this shirt. If I can unbutton this, that rune. I already <laughs> broke one of the buttons, but underneath. Oh, okay. You're my first guest that actually gets two shirts for the price of one. Shirts underneath. We have this, which is again Starry Night, but it's, of course, Star Wars. Yeah, Stormtrooper. No, Stormtrooper. I just noticed. Is that a TARDIS right there? Yeah, no. so I've just thought, yeah. Well, maybe. Yeah. There's a crossover you like to see. Okay. Star Wars and Doctor Who. Okay, mm -hmm. so then, of course, we might as well just hit the other number one question that everyone always wants to know is who's your favorite doctor? Oh, it's the fourth doctor, isn't it? It's got to be Tom Baker. Okay, yeah, Tom Baker. He's mine Definitely. too. Though David Tennant, I really dig. Mm. Too. So Everyone loves David Tennant. He's got something about him as an actor, so I think no matter what you watch him in, he's, he's really, really good. So obviously when he's in like your favorite show, it's, it's like... The perfect combination. Yeah, and I heard he was coming back. I'm not sure whether there's any any truth in that, but it would be it would be nice. That would be great. Mm. Yeah, I'd love to see him back. And um, so okay, so here's the other big question, of course, that everybody wants to argue about is what do you feel about having a female doctor right now? I'll be honest. At the time when they announced it, when they had that 
which I thought was a brilliant way because they never used to introduce the doctor beforehand. You normally had to wait. But these days, I think it, it can get leaked real easily. So they sort of jumped on that and reduced them before their first episode. Okay. Um, I wanted it to stay a bloke just to keep in with everything. So I thought if they make it a woman and it doesn't kick off, they're going to make it a man again. And then it's just going to seem odd having like one different sex just thrown in there. But okay. um, I like it. I think... Jodie's made it work very well. Okay. Um, and it, it's nice to be able to like look at the doctor and, you know, I think she's a bit of all right. You know, I couldn't quite do that with David Tennant. <laughs> it's not my, <laughs> not my thing. But yeah, um, I'm, I've warmed to it over the years. Uh, I just don't know whether they'll, they'll keep it on or whether they'll revert back. Okay. Well, they so, could, I mean, they could always hopefully. have the next doctor be trans. Yeah, a lot of people yeah. have gone for, for that and made it non-binary, so you get a sort of a mix of both. I think that would probably be the the right direction now to, right. to take that in. I think that would do very well, where you you can kind of be anything, really. I think right. it would work costume-wise. It would open a whole new different world. I mean, you can imagine the cosplay. Right. Some of that, it would be, it would be great, I think, yeah. Yeah, that, that would be good. Yeah, I like that. So they have, or I mean, another thing that they haven't tried is, I mean, they always have one actor go in one side of the box and another actor come out the other side of the box. And then you've got your new doctor, right? Yeah. Um, But they've never had it where like, maybe they could have this device that enables the doctor to instantly transform into this other person. So basically they have two actors playing the doctor simultaneously and it switches instantly back and forth as needed during the show mm. you know or like maybe he just has a holographic projector where he turns it on and that puts on his other self you know something like that they haven't yeah, tried like, that dr strange does something like that when he throws them out he's out their body like you know the superheroes right i think he does it by the man in that Last film that came out, he's Peter Parker in one minute, Spider Man, and the, oh, the Hulk, yeah, the, he, there was a incredible Hulk, yeah, yeah, Banner was separate from the Hulk. That that would be a nice yeah. switch because I thought that kind of thing worked really well in one of the Flux episodes that we've just had, Ed, where you see the the, the Joe Martin Doctor alongside Jody, but it's kind of like just two. It was like a memory. Of right. her, her past self that worked really well that would be okay. a nice thing yeah we'll have to yeah. see I mean if they did that they can explore all kinds of gender issues you know yeah definitely and then it could get really could get really interesting if they do it right if they do it wrong it'll just totally fall on its face of course <laughs> yeah I mean, that, that's the thing I, I like this this Joe Martin doctor but I feel cause Judy wasn't She's been well received, but not like as massively as the likes of David Tennant. I right. think introducing another doctor alongside her, who's been better received, was uh, it's like shoot yourself in the foot. I think that's done Jodie a bit of bit of discredit. Yeah. yeah. Do you know? Like, did she sign like a three or five year contract or something like that? Or does anybody know? Probably. I think they, they tend to do that, don't they? They get you signed. Like three years and see how it goes. 
Yeah. So like that, I'm just kind of wondering like how long she'll remain as the doctor just from that point of view, from the point of view of whatever the contract was. Yeah. Was that for Judy or for Joe? Um, well, anybody. anybody. So, yeah. I don't know. I haven't followed it closely enough. So, well, okay. So let, let me ask you this then. Um, you do Doctor Who fan films. So what yes. do you, when you do your fan film, how do you approach that? Do you, um, does it become a totally different universe or? or? I've tried to echo the classic series. So I love New Who, but I'm all for classic more, if I had to okay. pick. Um, your villains were in comical pantomime. Um, there was like, Jeopardy and threat there. Um, there wasn't like silly voices and, and dancers. It was all played straight and played serious. Um, yeah. Even some of the things didn't look serious. Um, not seeing any off the top of my head, the murder. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my Daleks, I haven't gone for um, new series Daleks. I hunted around for someone who could provide a Dalek. Mm-hmm. Uh, ideally wanted a classic one because I wanted to go down that road. Right, looks- the man story I'm planning for the 60th. So again, I've gone for classic cloth face, massive, you know, jugs on the head okay. rather than your Iron Man type sort of thing. So I, mm-hmm. I try to keep it as classical as possible. Even the title sequence is like a mimic of the fourth doctor rather right. than going um, flash with like super duper tunnels and guitarist right. flying over the shop like it's a sports car that kind of thing so i've definitely gone classic more than anything else does it use the classic theme song um i was gonna use tom's because that's my favorite but i thought for a fan show i'll see if there's uh, one out there that i like and ask if i can use it so there's a youtuber called um Dalekanium, and okay. uh, he does a version of the theme called time and time again so he's very kind of let me use that one so that's what we're going for for this. Great. Yeah. So how many episodes do you have out there now? Uh, none of the minute. It's due for release. It was going to be due for release back in 2019, but then um, COVID kicked off and the whole world changed. So the one scene, one scene, can you believe it? One scene that I had to film um, never got done. Um, that's getting done next month, which was Unit versus the Orton's, which obviously a big group thing. So... We had everything die down, and then jobs have changed. All sorts of personal stuff got in the way over the right, past two always. years. Always, <laughs> honestly, even even this week. So I've just started a week's holiday from work, getting some filming done, and we've had winds here like you wouldn't believe. I've been chasing me really been all around the street all day. Wow! <laughs> so um, I'm just waiting for something to happen there. I mean, metros are off, which is our like main form of transport. So if I'd been filming today, I'd have had. I cancel and it just seems to be one thing after another that like gets right. in the way but I'll have um, three stories uh, a one part standalone uh, two episode and then a three episode and then if it's successful another three episode one after that so, Great. Uh, quite a few yeah nice little series and you're releasing it on YouTube right yes okay so it'll be on YouTube and then send it well okay well we'll put a link to your channel in the description for sure and uh, i'm assuming you're playing the doctor 
I am, yes. Okay. You kind of look a bit like David Tennant, so I can I can already buy it, right? I get that all the time. More so when I had more hair. It's on its way off these days. But uh, I used to have the front all spiked up like him. And I used to have a, a pair of red Converse, like, like everyone did. You know, as soon as he came on the screen with those shoes, everyone yeah. was Converse. Just like everyone now has affairs and a 12-foot scarf, which I've got somewhere around here. Right. And yeah, you I could always, that. I mean, you could do a combination and use a Tom Baker wig or something. Mm. Yeah, if I wait any longer, I'm going to have to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'll be fun. So let, okay, let me ask you this then. So inside the TARDIS, are you planning to, do you have, are you building a TARDIS set or are you going to use green screens and just use pre-existing footage as your set? Uh, a bit of both. So the hardest thing which is it's kind of a good thing that it's taken so long because at the start, I didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. I was going to go down the whole time ring that you saw in Genesis of the Daleks. Mm-hmm. There's a quick fix to get around. Um, there was no police box at hand at the time and all that kind of stuff. So um, now it's going to be my own mega TARDIS, just a little console like you see in, um, I think, Robots of Death. It's the first time you see that small brown one. You know, uh-huh. the, the very Rodian looking one with Tom Baker. And then the background will be green screen to make it look like a huge room right. as opposed to a, a 15 foot by 15 foot room. Yeah. So a bit of both. Yeah. yeah. That's all possible because, I mean, I know how to do all that stuff too. It's uh, green screens, once you get good at it, give you lots of possibilities. Basically, anything you can imagine. If, if you find anything on YouTube you like, and if you look at it and say, can I put myself in that or not? Is it possible? Then once you realize, ah, I think I can, then you've got your pre-built set right there. Just yeah, you've got from that YouTube yeah. clip you found. So that's exciting. And uh, so you've written, and you said you've written all the scripts already. Yeah. Oh. So I've written them. I'm the doctor. I do the editing. I have okay. um, a different person who does the visual effects because um, that's not my thing at all. So I've okay. got uh, Adam Walker, who you might know from YouTube. He's done like various title sequences on YouTube himself and things like that. So he's provided the title sequence for this series. And right. then lighting and gun effects, explosions, all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah. And the good thing with if if you're going classic um, Doctor Who, doesn't really matter if a lot of the special effects look really hokey because that's sort of what the whole show was like. Yeah, you know? so like a decent fade in, fade out, a white flash. I don't need like people splitting into five different bits and all sorts of stuff happening in the background, the foreground, and you know, it's a bit over the top, I think, sometimes. I always prefer the stories where you have a couple of Daleks or a couple of Cybermen rather than the droves of them that you have now. Right. You know, especially when they get defeated. Once you've seen a couple of million get defeated, you should, should be to polish off one or two. So it kind of demeans them as well along the way. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was always about the story. That was what made it so good. Yeah. Back in the day. Right. And it. it was the same thing with, with Star classic Star Trek too. They had a pretty limited budget. And they had to, I mean, they literally had to recycle a whole bunch of their special effects every week, you know, 
And so they just lived within that constraint and had to fill it in with story. And, and like, instead of showing a scene, a lot of times you just had Spock describing it while he's looking into his scanner, you know? Yeah. And that worked just as good. Yeah, it you does. Know? That's imagination kicking a bit as well. Um, right. I like the big finish audios, uh, Doctor Who ones, and you don't you don't see anything on any of them, and some of them are. I mean, I prefer the work of Big Finish to what the BBC are doing at the minute for Who. I think right. the audio is like far far better. Right. I'm a, yeah. you're uh, you're aware of um of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, right? Mm, yeah. So like that show began as a radio show back in the 70s yeah which is super good if you listen to um the cds of it now it sounds great it totally i mean it sounds just as good now there's nothing about it where you're like oh you know if only they had better technology back then it would be a better show no the show's great because the voice actors are all great the script of course is fantastic and like every time i see hear about them wanting to do a movie, Hitchhiker's Guide movie or a TV show, I'm like, it'll never be as good as the radio show. Because no, it, when it's it, a radio it show, you imagine it all. And and because the sound effects and the voice acting is so good, it's yeah. way cooler in your mind than it could ever be if they tried to recreate it, you know, with sets mm. and CGI and stuff. So I really believe in that. So that's... uh so. Uh, Okay, here's another question. Um, Doctor Who has a sidekick, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. So what's your, what's your sidekick? Uh, what's she gonna look like? Um, she's played by an actress called uh, Maria Maria Carter. Maria. And, um, yeah, Latina. Maria. Is she from Spain? Maria. Okay, but she's not Spanish or Latin Latina. She's not Spanish. No, she's. Um, Last, like myself, Newcastle bound. Okay. Um, and so she plays um, Anna Tulin. So she's just a, an ordinary run-of-the-mill human being. Okay. And um, haven't gone down the road of making an alien or working for unit or anything like that. Just kept it very classic, very ordinary human being like every everybody else and is on this, okay. this adventure. Okay. Now, does she just instantly show up in the first episode, or do you have a little storyline where you introduce her? No, um, I did write the first script with an introduction and everything, but it just wasn't working. There was something about what I didn't like, but the last 10 minutes I thought were brilliant. So I thought, okay, well, if I just take them last 10 minutes and make a mini episode, that will do. So we literally start the story slap bang in the middle of an auto invasion. In, okay. in Newcastle itself, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And um, she's with uh, uh, another human being on the run from, from the Orton's. Okay. Uh, my good friend Michelle plays her. And um, they're trying to get out of the city centre whilst the doctor's um, dealing with the nesting consciousness. So it literally starts right in the middle of the action. Well, that's a great way to do it, actually. Mm. There's a lot of it movies works, that do that, yeah. and it works great. Because the, the build-up to the story just it wasn't it wasn't good enough. Um, yeah. You introduce these people, and fair enough, you've you've done all that. But then it just seemed it, it, reading the script. It wasn't working for me, so I thought, okay, yeah. I like this a bit. I'm I'm just going to start it there. Why yeah. not? And it works good that way. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's lots. I can already think of a couple movies, like, for example, Saving Private Ryan. Mm. Bam, you're right on the beach with no dialogue for like 10 minutes, Mm. you know, or like um, the Star Trek reboot 2009 Star Trek with Chris Pine. Mm -hmm. You open up with that epic battle scene, you know, it works great. Everyone kind of knows the origin stories of a lot of things like like Spider-Man this time around haven't gone down the road of seeing him get bit because we, we all know that we all know you can tell it a different way and it might be better might be worse literally they've just gone straight into the the new adventures and that's the best way right. to sometimes kick off things i think and plus you can always just you can always flash back you know whenever you want mm. if, you yeah, want exactly. to, if you want to tell the origin story you can do it after you've established some stuff yeah. um that's what the fun about uh film writing and stuff like that okay so here's a new question for you so um you said how so you have shot some of your stuff then already right you you do have some of the stuff in the can so once you've established your script um i assume you're also directing it right yes um one of the hardest things is getting everyone together cast crew so college when i found out that problem <laughs> um the the tutor at the time was like well why don't you do as much of the stuff as you can yourself i mean you can hold a camera when you're not in front of it you can get someone else to hold it when you are in front of it so mm-hmm. there, there isn't really any any crew it's literally the camera the cast and we all just sort of take turns doing whatever and mm-hmm. um, people weigh in with their ideas they, they get taken up on it or i'm like actually want to do this this way this is you know i'm recreating a scene from a classic episode so i need it block by block that kind of thing mm-hmm. so once i've got the script um that's kind of how we we go about it okay. um sometimes a lot of stuff changes um sometimes it stays script perfect okay that's what i was gonna ask so like once you have your script and you're shooting your scene do you does everybody have to be word for word what's on the script or is it the possibility to improv some stuff right on the spot? You can improv. When I, when I write a script, I'm, I'm quite loose with it. I'm not particularly bothered as to whether it's word for word unless it's explaining something. If I'm right. referring to a, a well-known plot line in Classic Who, then it needs to be bang on. If um I'm taking words straight out of um, a favorite story when they're describing the Daleks, maybe. Then again, that has to be spot on. But otherwise, whichever way you wanna you wanna go about saying it. Good. Yeah, I I like to do that too. That's see, that's the advantage of doing a kind of one man type of show, like where you have to wear like ten different hats. Is the director can have them change the script on the fly and you don't have the writer get all pissed off because you are the writer. Yeah. So you can make the call happen. right there, you know? So uh, that, I think that gives a lot of advantage too. Plus um, you're not only the director, you're also the editor. You edit it all. You're the video editor yeah. too, right? That's right. Yeah. Right. And that's of course I am in my show too. And see, I can't put my mind out of how, how it would work for the director and the editor to be two different people, but that's how they usually do it. And they say, you have to do it that way. That's how it's done in the real world. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense to me because if I'm the director and a scene isn't working, 
I can think, okay, when I'm editing this, there's some ways I can get around this, right? And I can probably fix this when I'm editing it because I know all the ins and outs of editing, right? And so maybe I might just let this scene kind of go because I know it's not really working, but I can fix it in the editing and spend more time on the next thing, right? But if I don't have that, if I'm not the editor and I'm not, if the editor is somebody else, then it's like I don't I don't know what I would do as a director that was only a director and didn't even have the say over how it was going to get edited you know what I mean yeah if if you shot a certain way and your editor sees it shot a different way then the two are just going to clash I think Um, and you can it's like having too many chefs in the kitchen sort of thing you get everyone's work thrown in to the same thing. If it works, it's brilliant. If it doesn't, it just looks cobbled together. Right. Um, I mean, I think when they were filming Inferno, the, the director took ill, so someone else had to come in and take over. Until I found that out, you couldn't tell. It was perfect from start to finish. But I've seen other shows where you can blatantly tell someone else has come in and it just looks like someone else's movie. Yeah, and it, it, it would spoil it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's um, well, as you know, I mean, no matter how good the footage is, is and how good the cinematography and the angles are, if it's not edited right, it's gonna suck. Exactly. Yeah, it, it has to be the person editing has to be really good and really understand the look that you're going for, the pacing. And then, you know, everything about it. And then even how, how the background music is going to fit into it and the sound effects and all that stuff. It's got to be, if you want a really high quality show, it's got to be done. All of that's got to come together. And that's all up to the edit, video editor. Yeah. And I if not them, the then the, the, the director or the producer that's breathing down their neck saying, well, I don't quite like it yet. Can you somehow fix it? Or hopefully they have some pretty specific things they want changed, you know, they, if they, but anyway. So that's why it just gets me like, it's fun, like it's fun to do fan films that are really low budget, right? But nowadays we have all the tools, we have all the software yeah. to, to do a high quality thing. If we've got, if we have a really good vision in our brain of what we want and we have a pretty good idea of how to achieve it. It's it's fun to do that, and how and wear like ten different hats. Whereas, like, yeah. if it was a big production with you know fifty people, you know, ten people doing lighting and then a sound, couple of sound techs and all this other stuff, it's like a whole different deal, right? Yeah, you've got to watch everything, and everyone's weighing in, and everyone has their own job they've got to do right, and if they're not happy with it, they can't let you proceed, and you're like. Some some film shoots take hours for minutes of footage. I hate that. I like it like shoot and move on. Shoot, yeah, move on. Yeah. The only restraints I've had are budget, because of course I'll be writing a script and I'll think, oh, that'll be a really good scene if I do it this way. That would be fantastic. And then I'm thinking, okay, I'm looking at a couple hundred pounds to just do a monster like that or set up a room to look like it so scrapped straight away now i'm gonna rethink it yeah one of my stories has just got 
plastic sheeting all over the room because I wanted a kind of eerie greenhouse effect. And there are some shots that I've cut because it just looks like plastic stuck on your wall. You know, I think if you had BBC budget, that would be amazing. Right. Really, really good stuff. So, yeah. So that's always a... a yeah. yeah, there's ways. I mean, mm. you can composite things in and, mm. but you know, there's lots of tricks. I mean, if you want to go crazy, you can start getting it. What editor do you use? What? Um, I use VideoPad. It's just a free one online, but it's oh. it's the easiest one I find. I try all the the fancy ones. You pay like so much a month. They've got features on I would never in a millionaire's news. Okay, you know, um, you can do green screen on there. You can add simple effects. But like I say, I've got Adam Walker adding effects on, and he's got like Photoshop and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Like that. So, um. Yeah, just just a simple one. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I don't even know that one. I used to use Sony Vegas, and then I switched over to Premiere Pro. I've tried then, Sony Vegas. Yeah. yeah. I even tried After Effects, Premiere, mm-hmm. which is like can, can do all kinds of stuff, but it's a steep learning curve. But I hardly use any. I've found that Premiere Pro is loaded with enough stuff that I almost never have to use After Effects. And... um. But again, yeah, it just depends on what you're trying to do. Exactly. Yeah, I got After Effects, but uh, I was, why is this not working? <laughs> Putting my hair out, trying to figure out why it was like stuttering and it was taking hours to do like, right. things. and I'm like, oh my God, what's wrong? My, my laptop didn't have the right specs for it. And I'm like, yeah, oh. you need a pretty high powered computer yeah. to use After Effects and not have it drive you crazy. So it's, um, but I suppose you would just have your uh, effects guy wrestle mm. with it if you went that route. Yeah, I made yeah. a uh, nesting energy unit. I tried all sorts of different things to try and get it to look like a, a plastic sphere. Um, went for paper mache in the end, believe it or not. And it looked really good, but on the shoot didn't light up as well as I would like. So he's swooped in and saved the day with that one and now it looks like it's alive if i'm honest it looks absolutely amazing better than it did <laughs> speaking of globy things there was a 60s show i think it was called the prisoner do you remember you ever yeah, watch that show yeah we had we had show and in there they had those giant balloon things that would roll around and attack people. Remember that? Yeah, it was a weather balloon, I think. Yeah. Yeah, they were like these giant white weather balloons or whatever they were, <laughs> but that's all they were. <laughs> but just to chase after you. But it, once again, I mean, as long as the actors believe it, then you believe it after a while, you know? Yeah, you do, um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's so. So your Daleks, um, are they are they um, like small models or are they full scale or how do you do that? Oh, full scale. Um, I wanted the weren't featuring in it to start with. I could I could not get a hold of one. I didn't involve traveling and I don't drive. So um, a local lad who is part of um. Charity Daleks. Um, he got in touch and said, "Look, I do have a Dalek. It was a Genesis one, uh, gunmetal grey with the, the black livery. However, um, given the timing and everything, it, it might not be 
um, good to have the film take place. I think uh, he was too busy and I was too busy when he was free and all that sort of stuff. However, um, I have a friend um, called Tom Connor and uh, he has a Dalek from the second movie, Dalek's uh, Invasion Earth 2150 AD. So the silver with the um, big dome lights and the the blue livery. He has one of them, um, but he's 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 down the other end of the country. Um, so I contacted Tom. I says, listen, I've got a fan series in there. I was wondering if you'd be interested in uh, the loan of your, of your Dalek. So it was um, Dalek Dave Mark III. Um, that's what he, he, he called it. Um, so we knew, we knew that one. Um, and he was he was brilliant. Um, you should see the things he builds. And he's got, um, he's got a, a company called Tom's Refurbishment. And he'll literally repair... Full-size Dalek props. He'll make eye sticks, um, gun sticks, um, do paint jobs. He turned a um, a new series Dalek that was red and gold and sort of weathered, like it had been in a battle, and he made it look like the Supreme that we see in Dalek's Master Plan, which I think, if you look closely, I've got kicking around on my shelf there, you know, with the black skirt with the blue hemispheres and the silver midsection okay and it looks beautiful it's it's like it's it's, it's great honestly um so um tom provided the the daleks for us so they're the ones we use in this series and i think movie daleks are the best ones anyway so i was buzzing <laughs> that's cool so how do they move is there like someone inside them like r2d2 or do you is it radio controlled or is it like these strings are they like puppets or how do you get them to do their thing oh um tom does it so the story has a few daleks in it but we actually only had the one prop so he brought dalek dave to the shoot um he did the voice did all the actions in it and actually plays a character in that episode as well whilst operating the daleks don't ask me how he does it i i, I could okay tell you it's how can you do two parts at the same time so perfectly? Um, I remember one scene where the Dalek sneaks up behind the Doctor and David, who Tom plays, and we bolt proper second Doctor and Jamie style away from it either side. But we needed the Dalek to turn at the same time. We, of course, he's not in it now. He's in shot. How How's that going to work? So he says, right, tell you what, we'll, um, if you run that way, I'll run this way. Once I know I'm out of shot, because we had the camera on a tripod, um, I'll turn the base so the Dalek moves. I'll have the headphone with the the microphone with the headset on the floor, and I'll do the voice, because when you do the voice, the lights flash as well. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's, that's, that's going to be near impossible. First take does it right. Dives down the floor after running out of shot says something that I think it was like intruders escaping as he turns the, the Dalek skirt and it looks like it turns to follow the doctor. And it was brilliant. It, it's, I don't know, like you, you <laughs> couldn't have planned that. It would just, you, you couldn't have made it work. And then first time there it is. So that's, that's definitely in the episode. <laughs> so that, but something um, like that would be great to have in an outtakes show or like you have a, another camera that watches that has a wider oh, angle yeah, so you yeah. can see how you guys actually did it. 
it's uh, it was brilliant. But other than that, he's he's inside it. So there's um. Oh, okay. So he is a... inside, kind of like R2, Kenny Baker mm. and R two D two. Yeah. Okay, that's he's, what I was wondering. Yeah. So he's he's got like um sort of electric wheelchair in there, or the the, the remains of one. You know, the seat with the workings and the wheels. Okay. That sits in the skirt. Wheels hidden by the uh, the base, and then he's got all the gubbins around him for the eye, headset on for the voice, and like I said, when he speaks, the dome lights flash. So literally, is a Dalek sitting in there, and he, he was brilliant. I hadn't shot Daleks before; I'd only ever seen them um, at conventions and stuff. So really, I, I was a bit out of my depth, um, and he just he just took over the thing and was brilliant. Or if you shoot them. Having your camera, sorry, this is boiling all over the shop. If you shoot them having your camera at the the waistband, the, the first band that uh, starts at the top of the skirt, obviously you're looking up at the Daleks a bit more menacing than where I had the camera, which was right yeah, looking down at them. Uh-huh. And then got some beautiful shots, absolutely beautiful shots. And he's putting really good effort into the voice, and it's it's brilliant. I think if um, I just got some model or half arse Dalek from from eBay and try to do it, it would be, I don't think I'd put it out. I think I would have just cancelled that one, but no, no, this one's definitely uh, definitely in the can. It's interesting that you, did the, that you did the voice live like that rather than overdubbing it afterwards. The um, the sound system he's got in there is really, really good. Um, that's what, that was my biggest worry beforehand. Um, so I've seen a lot of fan Daleks and you're listening to sort of pick up the voice and it sounds more um, performer than modulated. Uh-huh. Um, but this one, it sounds really bass-like and brassy like them 60s movies. So um, it doesn't need any tweaking whatsoever. Wow. Um, it's it's a really, really good. Because I could see how if, if you overdubbed it, afterwards and put it over the top of what you already had it would probably create an effect that would sound cool actually to create more yeah. of a stereo effect even more of the modulating sort of mm. robot sound yeah it would yeah. work really well you know? but we've got um obviously your, your high-pitched dalek and your, your dull tone dalek and yeah slow stagnated dalek and all that kind of stuff there yeah, it's really good we managed yeah. to make um it look like we've got two on the same in the same shot at one point we have um we wanted a special dalek to be the leader um and tom had said there's a photo shoot with um terry nation um quite a popular one where he's out i think it's on his 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 driveway outside his house and he's got all the different daleks around him in background is a red domed dalek that was never seen on tv um, how about that one? So um, I bought all the bits, sent them his way, put them together. Um, and then in this particular scene, we've got, I'll pop a picture in, but we've got um, the Dalek Dave prop with the red doom on. And then cameras, so that's facing me, let's say. And then where I am now, no, sorry. <laughs> Where I am now, we've got the Dalek Dave prop with the red dome. Where my hand is, we've got just the remains of a spare sucker and a spare neck ring that we had. So it looks like there's another Dalek just off shot 
Right. And then um, I've got a gun stick in my hand with the camera and I'm just twitching it every now and then. So it looks like it's coming from him. Yeah. All these tricks. Yeah. Yeah. And it's literally all them bits are just standing on tables and chairs and then we flip it. So you've got the red dome here and the full prop over here. And it looks like they're having a, a conversation together. And it's, I think, probably one of the best things I've I've ever shot. I think if I'd submitted something like that at college, uh, that would have rattled my, my tutor. Yeah. Um, it's tables and chairs with bits of Dalek stuck on. And, you yep. Know. <laughs> as long as it's off camera, you know. Yeah, that reminds it. me of like in, in uh, The Empire Strikes Back, when they have all the scenes on the on Yoda's planet with um, Luke and he's going around and he's got Yoda on his back. The way they did that was that Yoda was a puppet and like off, they had the puppeteer basically like right behind Luke working Yoda, you know, but it was all cut below the, the camera shot. So you of course wouldn't see it. But if, mm. if you, if they show it back and how they did it, you see like there's actually three guys there. There's, Luke Yoda and then the guy working Yoda, which is just like right there working him. Same type of thing, you know. It's all it's, it's like all really funny. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I really and to tell you the truth, I really as far as Yoda goes, I much prefer the Muppet Yoda over the CGI Yoda. It's just Yeah, I'm all practical rather than CGI. Yeah. Um, it shows <sighs> It seems, it seems a bit insulting, but like, not that there's not talent in CGI, but I see more talent put behind the practical effects that you see. So I would, I, I would always praise the, the 1982 John Carpenter's The Thing over the revamped version they did only a few years ago, where it was all CGI. You know, right. both very good films, and they did. They did a proud with them um, effects, but the, the 82 one, particularly since that's like what, Christ, 40, 40 years ago. Yeah. And it's still fantastic and a lot better than a lot of stuff that you see now. And you're like, ah, that's not there, man. I can tell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I know, like, for example, I have all the DVDs of um, the original Star Trek TOS. Mm. And I the DVDs that I have have all the original special effects and i still prefer that over what you see on tv now where they cgi'd all the shots of the enterprise yeah because it's just i mean they get some more interesting angles and stuff but a lot of it's just like you know i can totally tell it's cgi and it's just not really doing it for me i'd much rather see the model from the 60s and all the flaws in those shots i mean you can see in those shots if you look close you can see you know flaws in the in the film you can see all kinds of things that are wrong with it but it still looks to me more real than a computer computer generated thing to tell you the truth even i think that a lot of the special effects in tos look better and more real than tng like i i never believed that the tng enterprise was the real thing i was like well that's just looks totally cgi to me even though i think it was actually a model but for some reason, it always looked fake to me. But anyway, that's a whole other subject. <laughs> so I'm assuming you have uh, 
have you have the sonic screwdriver right yes my favorite was the one you see i'm not sure when it first appeared um but it's used in carnival of monsters and the sea devils so the one where it has that yellow band with the black stripes going down it yeah that's my favorite one so that's the one we use for the series. I'll, it's them stripes. It, it just suggests um, sort of safety hazard thing, like okay. dangerous tool. So um, that's that, that's what we've gone for there. We put a little effect on. There's um, a light and um, a sort of shimmery effect that comes off it just to sort of flare it up a bit. But um, yeah, that's the one we go for on this one. You don't have it handy, do you? Everything's, everything's classic. Everything's classic. That's not like in your drawer, desk drawer nearby or anything like that? What, the one I'm using? Yeah. Um, no. I think it's going to be covered somewhere. Well, dang it. <laughs> okay. Here's another question. So when you play Doctor Who, does Doctor Who wear glasses or not? No. Um, he doesn't. He wears his contact lenses. And he takes okay. these, these gaps off. I could never act with these on they're just they're annoying yeah and so they're hiding me baggy eyes <laughs> ah. but no he doesn't so um he's got a cravat white shirt and uh sort of two-toned waistcoat and a big not a floor length coat only goes to waist but the, the lapels are really thick so they literally come like out here because i wanted it to look a bit flamboyant but not sort of to John Pertwee, you know, right. dinner jacket kind, you know, something I could wear in the street without getting cold, worse than right. God knows. Um, and then just black trousers, pretty much just just very basic. Right. And, of course, black works good. I mean, you can easily cover a lot of wrinkles and flaws with a black costume just by upping the contrast, mm. and it'll just all look pure black. Well, like, for example, this jacket... Mm. Um, it's actually not even black. It's really um, more of a brownish. But especially when we watch this video, the edited version of this, I usually up the contrast a little, so it'll look pure. It'll look pure black. But anyway, tricks like that. Okay, here's another question I have about just Doctor Who in general. Um, it seems like Doctor Who. He's kind of a loner, right? Um, yeah. And occasionally has there have been times when he had a love interest, a romance happening. Mm -hmm. That was pretty rare, though. And I don't think, I mean, I have obviously have not seen every single Doctor Who episode, but does he ever actually have a love scene where he actually kisses somebody or anything like that? Does that ever happen? In, in like, the BBC show? Yeah. Um, never really happened in classic. Um, I think the first time we see it is in the, the TV movie with Paul McGann when he has Grace up against the tree and he gives her the kiss and then she asks for another one. I think that was the first time we see it. Knew who, that they're necking on, as as they say up here, like there's no tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a few in-jokes about that, I think, in one of the episodes. One doctor says, um, one doctor has kissing. Another one says, is there much of this that goes on in the future. And then the other doctors like, yeah, it, it does tend to start happening. Yeah. They're always kissing someone. Yeah. I think okay. we'll probably end up with a, a bit of a lesbian kiss. I think before Jodie goes, 
um, which would be nice to see, I think, because they, they've, thrown, they've thrown a few hints out that Yaz has a, a fancy for her, but not in like a friend way, a bit more. And they kind of hinted that the Doctor might have the same thing. So I think now it's played by a woman. Um, they'll take the opportunity and, and do that. Because again, it's very much, it's very, very much today. So I think that would that would sit well with the fans. So it'd be interesting to see whether they do. Yeah. So can your film, your fan series, can it make any radical departures from what is expected of Doctor Who or... Or what's the trajectory? Um, I've kind of grounded it in 63 to 89, if you like. So um, not too many effects, but just when they're needed. Um, okay. There's no mention of... So now like you get to find out everything about the companion's family, love life, job. There's, there's none of that. It's just the companion. Um, monsters are pretty much as they are. That, that that plans are obviously a bit out there and new and fresh, rather than just sticking to your simple alien invasion. But there's nothing too new who about it. So there's there's, there's no necking on going on. There's no there's no kissing right. or, or any of that. So nothing nothing too out there. Okay. So then, what's the um, what's the purpose of your fan series? So. Why are you doing it then? Um, I always fancied doing one. And I thought, you know what? Why, why don't I just go and do one? Do it. I wanted to do something like that right. in college. But part of your course, you had to acknowledge copyright. Right. Um, and if you were going to be doing a remake of a, a show from like the BBC, that would have meant sort of more admin, if you like, more paperwork. Why are you doing it? What's the implications of doing it? And all that kind of stuff. So I thought, right, I'm not going to course. Kind of wish I had. Um, and then as soon as I, I left college, I thought years down the road, I thought, right, let's let's get one done. I keep on saying, oh, I fancy doing a, a Who series. I fancy doing a Who series. And I must have done everyone's head in. So all like, why don't you? You know. So yeah. So you're I like, why it. not? Yeah, why not? There's um, there's a load of fan series and fan films out there, which I watch because I love fan made stuff. Right. Um, and I think they work really, really well. So I thought I'm gonna jump on that bandwagon and see what people Let's think. Let's do it. Yeah. Like it. Yeah, that's the same with me with my Star Trek stuff. I'm like, you know what? When I was a kid, I used to daydream about this stuff all the, all the time. Mm-hmm. Now I'm an adult. I can take those daydreams and just do it for real. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's pretty much the same. It's pretty much what I do. And then what I discovered, though, is once you establish that universe and your, your characters within your fan series then you you have the ability to tell all kinds of stories within that, yeah. you know, and you can tell whatever, almost any story you want. But same thing with Doctor Who. I mean, Doctor Who can go anywhere, anytime, you know, in his telephone booth. So you can pretty much do anything that you want to dream up as a writer. Anything at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's so fun about it. So. Of, that, um, sorry, go on. No, go ahead. Speaking of phone booths, the um, the TARDIS one use is um, the one I think it's from Sharda. With the um, the light sort of looks more police lamp on the top of it, and um, that's the one we use for this one for the exterior. So um, the the guy who's providing that for us is his name is Neil Cole, 
Um, he's from, it's not too far from here, but um, it would it would be better if I, if I drove, you know. Um, so he's providing uh, the TARDIS for that. So I'm, I'm filming for the first time actually with that this week. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. And um, That's cool. He he has this um, he has this museum called um, the Museum of Classic Sci-Fi. If you'd seen the room in uses beforehand, before you went into the museum, you'd be just blown away. So it's it's in Allendale and um, it's in his basement. But don't think it's sort of like you go through his house and you go downstairs and it's some fan with like a few props and stuff like that. It's it's nothing remotely like that. It's like a proper museum, and it's adjacent to his building if you like. So it's a separate room altogether. And mm. it started off as this sort of, it looked like like something medieval. It was brickwork, bare walls, and, and, and the floor was ground more than more than a floor. And now it's interesting. glass cabinets. There's Daleks in there. There's Star Trek stuff in there. Right. Does he have a Robbie the Robot, perchance? The, uh, the what robot, sorry? Robbie the Robot. Rob, is that from? That's... From Forbidden Planet, that's Forbidden. it's a oh, um, the huge doom. Yeah, he's like this. He's got claws, yeah. and you know he's got I this big, huge glass. That's the one. It looked like the one from Lost in Space as well. Yeah, very similar. I used to get those mixed up, but apparently they're two different yeah. robots. I think actually that I'm sure I've seen a photograph of a, a a robot like that. He might actually have that in his museum. Go check it out. Then we'll pop a pop a link on or something and then um, link in the description yeah oh that's neat neat stuff wow that's super cool so uh, here's another question for you so in your series are all the villains going to be pre-established villains or are you going to invent some new ones and bring them in i've thought about all I wanted really was the Daleks up until, okay. um, so like I said beforehand, they weren't going to feature because I couldn't get I couldn't get a hold of one. But they, but they were the the ones I really really wanted to to do. And as for the rest of the stories, I was just going to make my own up. But I thought really now's the time to sort of work with all them classic monsters that I love. Why am I going to make up my own out of the contents of my cupboard? Something like that. So it's all established villains. So um Orton's in the first story, because um after the Daleks and the Cybermen, they're my next favorite. Um have not been realized in you who at all. I think them first two they did in the 70s are like far, far superior. Um and they're really they're really scary. Like everyone hates a shop window dummy because it just it'll not take its eyes off you. Right. Um, and it's as stupid as killer phone cables and daffodils and plastic chairs sound i think in terror of the autons that scene with the the, the plastic chair is brilliant and I've, I've sat a few friends down to watch it and they're like it's just an inflatable chair you can tell he's pulling on it and i'm like no 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 no! don't don't look behind the scenes think about what's going on i'm sitting in a chair like it now you know and then, <laughs> so yeah, so they're in the first story. 
Second story is going to be the Rutans, because I wanted, um, it was originally going to be the, the weed creature from Fury from the Deep, but mm -hmm. didn't matter how many times I tried to sort of do something with seaweed to make it look scary. It, it, <laughs> oh my God. Did, you saw the movie yeah. Ed Wood, right? With Johnny Depp. Did you ever no, see that I movie? I have to though. Why? Because there's a scene in there with, well, it's it's Johnny Depp and Martin Landau. Johnny Depp plays Ed Wood, who's this filmmaker that made these really trashy, low-budget films way back when. And there's a scene where, like, um, they're supposed to struggle with this giant sea monster, kind of a sort of like a giant octopus. And yeah. it's the same thing. Like, he's supposed to pretend like he's getting attacked but the whole thing's a prop and it ends up looking just comical you know yeah. <laughs> but it, it it's hilarious it's terrible man I'm, I'm i've got a stick under the sand and i've got it on fish wire and i'm pulling at it and it just it, it, just, it did not work like at all like yeah. a little bit yeah the only thing you can do is you can just do like some really extreme camera angles you know, or super close ups and things and shake the camera and then use a bunch of sound effects and stuff. And you could, you could potentially make something halfway decent by doing that, all these other types of tricks, you know, I mean, it works for Fury. They, they just have that pulsating heartbeat and the foam. Mm -hmm. But um, I think in the sixties, that is kind of all you needed. Now you would expect you would, sit down and expect more more um, and it, it just wasn't pleasing me so um rutans for that um, and yeah. third story is the i wanted to do a prehistoric story because I'm, I'm into dinosaurs and all that sort of stuff and i thought if you're going to yeah. do that it's going to be the silurians so uh, mm. i've designed my own silurian mask mm. which is kind of classic and modern because I don't like the human face ones that we have now. Mm -hmm. um, it, all the rest's fine. And then you just got the actor's face. I like the whole thing looking like a mask, like it was in the 70s and the 80s. Right. I've blended the two together. So that's what we're using for them. But I needed, um, I needed a villain for them to sort of either be a victim of or they were the villain and they had some plan to hatch, but really prehistoric time, what else are you going to do? There's no humans kicking around, so you couldn't go down the road of, oh, it's our planet and all that kind of stuff. Well, there's slea stacks. There's, there's what, sorry? Slea stacks from the Land of the Lost. <laughs> Did you ever see that show? Yeah. That might be before your time. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, I watched, what did I watch the other day? Um, to the Earth's Core, Peter Cushing one. Yeah. No, yeah, not, no not Peter Cushing. I don't think he was in it. Um, Wesley, um, Ure, Wesley Ure was the was the star of the show. Yeah. It's the land of the lost. It was a TV show in the 70s. Oh, no. I don't think I've seen where they, they They go down. They're on this raft. They're rafting in this river, and then somehow they fall over this waterfall and it takes them into this cave that sends them to the pre prehistoric times. It's kind of Jules Vernish. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And there's something there's, on, on there's the dinosaurs rocks. and yeah, there's dinosaurs, not one. So there's yeah. slee stacks, which are basically these humanoid type of dinosaurs with these big bug eyes. They look sort of like your classic gray alien in a way. Anyways, instead we've gone um, sea devils as well, but the two yeah. of them are at war with each other. So in the story, the, um, the Silurians are going to be sort of the good guy, not not quite, rather like the Ice Warriors. You know, you got to watch what you say to them, otherwise they'll, they'll go for you. But Sea Devils are full-on baddie in this one. So um, Phil Robinson, he's providing the Sea Devils for that. Um, it's to his own design as well. Um, so we're not going classic Sea Devil, we're not going... Later on in, in the years, where what was it, 80s, I think, where they had the I main sort of Japanese samurai armor, he's um, designed his own sea devil. He'd sculpted the mask as well, which I think is dead impressive. I wouldn't know where to begin. It would just look like this lump of clay with an eye <laughs> on. I think if I had my way, it would just be wrong. And uh, he's providing those for her. Uh, again, I'll send pictures over for them, and they're absolutely fantastic. I even prefer them to the ones we're going to see this Easter. I think yeah, it's it's a far better better, better design. So that story has the sea devils and the Silurians in a war against each other, and there might be a little villain in there to sort of just rub salt in the wound. We'll have to see who that might be. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of epic stories that just go on and on and just keep spinning more and more tangents for for to infinity, like Doctor yeah. Who is that the show that just goes on forever, right? Have you ever heard of the Mahabharata? No. It's it's the great Indian Hindu epic. It's pronounced Mahabharata, but a lot of times people mispronounce and call it the Mahabharata. Mahabharata. No. Sometimes people call it that, which is... Anyways, it's within Hinduism. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this epic story that's like 18 volumes long where they just go on and on and they just keep telling tale after tale after tale, kind of like, or kind of like the Arabian nights, you know, same type of thing. That's um, there's all kinds of monsters in it and all these different types of gods and demigods and all these affairs that they all have with each other and all these twisted convoluted stories that happen and everything. It's all very doctor who ish. So anyway, yeah. So how long do you think this season or this series will go on? I don't know. Um, I mean, those episodes there, they'll be out this year. Okay. And then, like I say, I've got a Cyberman one that I want to do for the 60th. So that's not until, what, November next year. Okay. I've got a, I've got another Dalek one that I'd like to do. Um, but I'm only going to do it if this series is, is successful. Mm-hmm. Um, if it just flops, um, I'll, I'll probably nip that in the bud. But I'd really like to do it and just have like a full-blown Dalek epic. So, how do you define success in in the in the terms of a fan series? Um, for me, it would be I'm satisfied that it's getting well received. So, if I had to put it in some sort of context, um, although the show is on BBC it's not as well received now as it was when Tennant was the doctor. Okay. 
there's a big difference, although it's still running. You know, I'd rather have I'd rather have it on a high than go producing stuff that's on a on a lower. So it's gonna be on YouTube, right? Mm, yes. So let's let's talk hard numbers. So like like it needs to have like ten thousand views and two hundred fifty likes or have you figured out anything like that that's going to define whether it's succeeded like or not? Or <laughs> I'm still working on how you how you really get yourself known, like out there like that. I mean, it, you know, when when who came back 2005, it was everywhere. Post, I mean, over here we had posters on bullet boards, buses, phone booths. Because back in the day we had Christ back in the day. Back in the day you had phone booths in your streets. <laughs> right. Um adverts every 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 interval of every program. You, you just couldn't get away from it. Mm-hmm. So um I, I don't have a, a figure yet of what I'm aiming for, but as long as I would like it to be really successful. Well, so it's easy to put up a YouTube channel and yeah, it's relatively well, I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's entirely possible to put out good content. But then it's also, you have to figure out some way to market your, some way to promote yourself. So yeah, that's the thing is like, it seems like really whether a show is popular or not, it's almost like it just has, the show itself just has to be halfway decent. And then whoever's marketing it has to be very successful at their marketing, however they do it. Mm -hmm. So that, that's the, I mean, if you're just talking about how many people watch it and how many people like it, unless it's just a total flop, you know, and it's just no good. And then everybody watches it and hates it. But that's just one thing to put in there is everybody wants to to like, you know, I'm going to put out a show that's so good that people will just like it and it'll take off and go viral. And But that almost never happens. No, yeah, you got to figure out some way to promote. <laughs> but in these days, it seems, well, everybody's always, I mean, that's been the game in the ent- entertainment industry forever is how do you get your show noticed and how do you get people to want to watch it? And these days, and like you said, before it was like you put up posters and handouts and all that kind of stuff you have radio ads and tv ads and all that stuff and of course these days it's it's more um social media and all that and what i found too a lot of it also is just making a lot of allies which it's to tell you the truth that's one of the reasons why i do this show now where i interview people one it's really easy to do an hour and a half show that's an interview right we just yeah, talked for an hour and a half and then I edited it slightly and then I got some compelling content up there like in a day. Um, but also I really, it's a great way just to get to know people. Mm. And so yeah. like after I do a show with someone after that, it, we're like friends. I've like, we've gotten to yeah. know each other and now, uh, you know, now I'm like, well, if I ever hear of some Dr. Hugh thing, like I know this guy, Brian Cox, who does that, I can hook you up with him. So it's a really great way to network, too, and um, it's what you know too, you know. I think it's yeah, insane. it's actually both. I mean, you have to be good at it, right? Oh uh, yeah. I mean, and um, but also it's 
it's all about you have to somehow get yourself into people's consciousness for them to even want to you have to convince you have to the first thing you have to overcome is to have them even want to consider watching it right yeah want to click on your video mm. and then the next thing is to get them to keep watching for more than 10 seconds <laughs> we all school going and then hopefully then if they watch a few minutes of it it's compelling enough that they want to watch the whole thing hmm. which is kind of why i like that that idea of you just starting it right in the middle just slam bang you know right in the scene works that works for that formula because you're there and then you caught their attention yeah you didn't spend I mean, 10 minutes trying to build it up you know anyway there's all that stuff and then of course everybody's got their theories about how the youtube algorithms work and you know, all mm. that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, so it's a, there's a lot to it. So, I mean, it's, you're a filmmaker, but also either you try to find someone who's going to help you promote it. That's really good at such things, or you have to kind of learn by doing and figure mm. out different ways to promote your stuff that, that work. And a lot of it's sort of trial and error. Yeah. Um, and then just people can give advice, like things that work for them. Mm, lovely, yeah. yeah so yeah i mean i think again time time base mm-hmm. yeah time base they did doctor who fan films in i want to say the 90s i might be wrong on that one and um their stuff's still popular i've got a couple of DVDs, yeah, actually. yeah um and their stuff's really good um i watched um it was, I think it was a Facebook comment I read on a video that had been posted and everyone was like, oh my God, I remember them and it was so good and everything. And so obviously they've managed to sort of keep yeah. their, their going. You know. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. so many. I mean, of course, everything's always evolving now too. So it seems mm-hmm. like you're supposed to, apparently you have to be really good at TikTok to, if you really want to succeed. Yeah, I haven't I even know, I haven't done a single TikTok video yet. I'm pretty much Facebook and Twitter, which is like really old school. I downloaded but, it the other day, but um, I haven't. I haven't had a yeah. I haven't had a good <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's what really. You? What is what? What's your favorite Doctor and who's your favorite monster? And um, I'm pretty much the same as you, which is which I think is pretty much mainstream as I really like Tom Baker and then I really like David Tennant. So they're my two favorites right there. And then monster wise, I mean, it would probably have to be the Daleks, you know? Yeah. Everyone, everyone's Dalek. Yeah. So, cause they're, and especially after star Wars came out because they're kind of like R2D2, you know? So. With the, with the guy in. Yeah. Yeah. And they've got, I mean, they're like the evil R2D2 with the little thing. We're going to get you. <laughs> Got everything in mind. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. So, anyhow, um, well, for sure, when your stuff, when, when, okay, I was, this is my other question was like, how long do you think each episode of, of your series will be? At the minute, the first one's clocking in at half an hour. Okay. So that's that's a nice, decent stint for an episode. They're, mm-hmm. they're not going to be all 
bang on the same time, but I don't mm. want them to be any more than 10 minutes apart because it's just going to look stagnated. So you're looking at around 20 to 40 minutes an episode. Okay. Somewhere in between there, they'll all fall into. Um, so, yeah, about that. So that's, it's, that's going to be quite, yeah. a, quite a nice little collection. Yeah, that's pretty much the same as how mine goes too. Um, I thought about making them the, the whole 45 to 60 minute long like they do now, but I don't know. It's a lot of work. Yeah, and I wanted cliffhangers. So if I had an hour story, I would rather do two parts, half hour yeah. each. Nice. I love a cliffhanger. You, you kind of, they've all got pre-titles. So you have like a, a quick couple of minutes scene, then a sort of cliffhanger titles yep. rest of the episode but yeah you, you don't get it as much these days if it's if it's a two-parter yeah you, you get a cliffhanger if it's just a, a one parter then you don't and i'm like <clears throat> bit bit let down so yeah of about, course about- doctor who was very serialized so at, at a time when most shows were pretty much episodic but doctor who would tend to have longer story arcs and a lot of multi-parters so yeah. that that would fit into that. Very much. I yeah. Like that with um, Tom Baker, that's the, like seeds of, I always get this wrong, seeds of doom, I think it is. That's the crinoid one, not the ice warrior one. I've probably got it wrong. One's doom, one's death, and I never get them right. But in that one, there's literally, it's a six-part story. The first two episodes are pretty much the same storyline but set in a different location and then the other four are that storyline again but you get a bit more from it and obviously it's in four parts and i like that because you watch them first two parts and switch off you know you don't you don't necessarily have to watch the four it's a sort of separate story in a story i like i like that okay then when you do an episode do you um basically just film that one episode get it all done edit it put it all together and wrap it up in a bow and then once you do that you can do another episode or do you do like like the studios do where you're filming all kinds of episodes all the you know all sort of they're all kind of happening all at once and then finally at the end of the season you take it all together and edit it all together at the minute because of everything that's gone on with it that they're all over. So it would have been nice to film the first one and then air it, second one, air it. Um, but at the minute, I've already shot the Dalek one. And then I've already shot pretty much all by one scene of the first one okay. and most of the second one. And then I'm planning and shot tiny bits of that Sideman one for next, not well, not next November, but the one after. So it's literally all over the shop, but they will okay. get released in a decent order with not too much time between them neither, because that's what I didn't want to do, have one come out and then it's like nine months later before you get the next one. That's just going to like yeah. damage the whole thing. Yeah. 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 They're all over the shop. Have you made any teasers for any of them, any of these yet? Um, I've got half a teaser because um, I've been waiting to get a police box. I had one, um, but it was just too far away, um, so it wasn't it wasn't ideal. So once once this next week's out of the way, 
and I've got police box footage to shoot. I can get a nice teaser going on um, with the all-ons, so it'll be nice to introduce that. I wanted to mimic um, one of the teasers from the actual show itself. So what we've done, um, which we're doing this week, is there was the introduced Pearl Mackie, I think that's how you pronounce it, as Bill for Capaldi's new companion by having this scene where the news um, footage from one of the Dalek stories, I think it was Into Dalek, and they have um, the shot a load of Daleks opening fire and Pearl and the Doctor running away down a corridor. There's a bit of dialogue and then Dalek confronts him at the end and then it goes into slow-mo and it says on screen, introducing Pearl Mackey as Bill. And that was, that was a nice little companion intro, I felt. So I wanted to do something like that. So we're doing that, but with the Sea Devils. So that'll be the first thing you see um, very soon before the episode. So that'll, that'll be good. Fine. Okay. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. So I think what we should do, let's, let's make a little informal plan that like once you, once you release some of your stuff, once you're ready to release it, we should probably get back together and do another interview and yeah. it, it'll be like, it can be part of your promo thing, you know? I like it. Yeah. And then um, I can, of course, whenever you have something going on that you want to get the word out, then for sure, send me a Facebook message or whatever, or um, are you're also on Twitter, right? Uh, no, I'm on Instagram. Instagram, okay, yeah. Instagram I'm... and Facebook. Um, okay. I could get a Twitter. Or if you ever get on Twitter, Twitter is interesting because um, it takes quite a bit to get to start to gaining followers on Twitter. Um, but then what I found is, at least for me, it's been really useful. I, I've met a lot of um, really good contacts that. I would never meet on Facebook because Facebook is kind of just sort of my own circle of people. Yeah. And Twitter is a little bit more public, it seems. Mm. So anyways, if you ever get over there, let me know. And I can also give you some hints. Like the thing that worked for me on Twitter is that um, I put Star Trek in my bio, hashtag Star Trek. And then uh-huh. anytime I see anybody that has hashtag Star Trek in their bio, I immediately follow them. And nine times out of 10, they will follow me back. Oh, that's so good, yeah. That's pretty much how I built my Twitter Instagram. followers. <laughs> so you could probably do the same thing with Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah it probably work. Yeah. Yeah, so I have almost 4,000 followers now. And I'm following almost 4,000 people. <laughs> I mean. But my, the other cool thing is my Twitter universe, my Twitterverse, is pretty much full of Star Trek people. Mm. So, and those are exactly the people I want to be reach out to because that's what I'm into. So yeah, it, I find it really useful. Well. Yeah. So yeah, this, so, yeah. that's another trick I do. I wear this coat everywhere. So like when I go to the store to buy, um, you know, groceries, I'm wearing this coat and almost always someone will say, oh, I like that badge. You know, I dig Star Trek. And then, so then I just go, oh, hey, here, here's my card. My YouTube channel. Ah, there's an idea. So that's really old school, just passing out business cards, but it works over, over the long haul. And then, 
The other thing I'm about to do is I'm trying to get myself a table at um, this big Star Trek convention at Star Trek Las Vegas. And, mm. and so I'm going to do that too and see how that goes. I bet they're and, good over there as well. They must be massive over there. Yeah, mm. it is. Now, now you have conventions, sci-fi, Comic-Con type of conventions in the UK too, right? Yeah, they tend to, it, that's the annoying thing. So up this end, as popular as Newcastle is, you get comic cons mm-hmm. and you get a few stars come over here, mm-hmm. but they're very small events. Um, and you find a lot of your stars tend to stay down London way. Okay. And um, the closest they'll sort of come is Manchester. Okay. So um, that's, that's a little frustrating, mind. But um, yeah, you, you get conventions, you get them. Um, get Doctor Who conventions there up here all the time. I used to go to them. I think I used to do two a year, and they're, they're amazing. Just, so New, I don't even know where Newcastle is. So where, how far from London is that, are you? Oh, I'm top end of the country. Um, oh. Yeah, I couldn't tell you how many miles it is. Newcastle is northeast of, it's like Tynan, Tynan Weir. So are you like in Scotland or something, or where, where are you? Mm-hmm. Scotland is closer to me than London is, yeah. So you're still part of England, right, then? Yes. Yeah, definitely still part of England. Um, And then Scotland is a bit to the left, down and to the left. (laughs) Is that it? (laughs) If you're you're looking at the UK, you've got that sort of... I guess to the right, depending which way you're pointing. It would be the right, Um, I guess, if you're looking at it. Yeah, if, if you've got the map in front of you, Newcastle is on the right-hand side, about, I would say, three-quarters of the way up the island. Okay. So uh, quite quite a long way away from London. It would definitely be a train job or plane to get to London. It's interesting, too, because your accent, to me, sounds kind of Scottish. Oh, you know, it. I wish it would stay one accent. It, it doesn't matter whether I'm... If I'm talking to someone Scottish... Uh-huh. It'll have a little Scottish twang to it. Sometimes I go all posh when I'm talking to people, like okay. there. Other time I just sound rough as muck, and I've got this twang that just sort of suggests I'm going to keep your face in. Um, it, it doesn't seem to know what it wants to do. <laughs> <laughs> I get it all the time. I'm at work, and <laughs> my friends at work will be, oh, Brian's putting his posh accent on. I'm not. My voice has just gone that way, like it just did there. <laughs> <laughs> it's just all over the shop. So it's really difficult when I'm acting because I've got to try so hard not to like jump into like several different accents because it's okay. just everything. So when you're Doctor Who, what accent do you put on? He's well-spoken. So there is no twang in there at all, much like I'm doing now. So it would be the proper not, English? Not quite. He's not... He's not prim and proper old boy and any of that kind of stuff. No, 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 no. He's um, lost his, his roughness. He's because although I live in Newcastle, I'm from a, a different part of the country, which is only 20 miles away. But you have this kind of geet, proper, sort of rough, don't mess with this sort of thing in the voice. And that's like kind of how he used to tack talk so you lose that otherwise i just sound like um a charvish doctor you don't want to be that <laughs> <Burberry> could. <laughs> so 
So hard. Uh, so interesting. Okay. Well, we for sure are going to meet again. So let's, uh, before we wrap it up, so, excuse me, is there any parting words you want to say or any things you want, want us to remind people to click on in the description or anything like that? Um, it would be nice to post the links for the the people that have helped me out that have their own um, okay. either businesses or their own fan stuff going on. So certainly Tom's refurbishment, um, okay. definitely check that out. Um, if you're after a Dalek part or or have a, a full Dalek or a paint job or any kind of like little custom treat, um, check, go check them out. Um, okay. If you're in this country and you're in the, the, the top end of it, go and see Neil's museum because it's it's like say. literally out of this world. You know, you've got a TARDIS outside, a Dalek outside, a Dalek inside. Um, I will find out whether he had that Bobby the robot. I'm sure I've seen Robbie. something like that in there. Robbie got, the robot. Robbie the robot. Robbie yeah. the robot. Sorry, yeah. Robbie the robot. That's good. Um, definitely. And um, just just keep an eye out for the series. Um, like I say, okay. you'll, you'll see some fantastic work from. Adam Walker on the title sequence right. and effect and um, Bill Robinson's new design of the Sea Devils, which so far have been really well received. Um, right. Everyone's loving the posts I've put them out. So Okay. Uh, and then aren't you also a musician? Me? No. Yeah. Okay. I got that. I think I got you mixed up with someone else then. Mm. So you're a, tri- you're, a film- you're a filmmaker. Yeah. And you actually went to film school, right? I went to the Newcastle College and studied there as an actor. Um, oh, great, not really great. with any intention of doing much about it. It was more, I wanted the qualification of a degree. I've always fancied doing it. It was fun. Um, I think just before I'd started college, I went to a film shoot as an extra. Just okay. some guy in the club, pint in his hand, you know, nothing fancy. And I thought, do you know what? I could do this quite often. I wonder, I wonder what he if you do a course in it and all that sort of stuff okay and then um, the guy that was there he was sort of the agent if you like was oh wait why don't you just you know study at college and and see how you take to it you never know and uh right. straight away went for one year stayed for five it was uh, it was brilliant. <laughs> fun. brilliant when you were there did you do any shakespeare yes we did um <laughs> it's it's funny because when I went there, you would you would never have had me do anything like put a dress on and play a woman. You know, I was very, very, very it's, masculine, and okay. it wasn't a part. I would say, yeah, no problem, like now. Oh yeah, pass your your frock, love. I'll put that on and act like an absolute idiot. And we did Shakespeare, and. Um, Back in that time, women weren't allowed on stage, so it would be a man playing a woman, and you would have the makeup on, the wig, the dress, um, despite the, the bust of chest hair st- sticking out. And uh, I remember sitting in class, and the director was reading out all the parts people had, and he went, Brian, uh, madam. And I was like, excuse me? What? And he's like, madam, need prostitute. So, all right. Oh, yeah, cheers, mate. Thank you. Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, oh, my God. Green dress, ginger wig, four times a week, I think, something like that. Having a come on with my uh, my hairy legs sticking through the curtain before I enter stage and all that sort of stuff. But it was it was fun. Looking back now, I'm I'm glad I did it because I think uh, it opens it up to, to a, a different mindset. 
I don't do it now just to put that up there. It's not how I of course, live my yeah. life. <laughs> we'd, we'd never, I would never do that now. Only if someone forced me to in college and I had no choice. Yeah. <laughs> Only on a Friday. <laughs> All right. Well, Juliet. Oh, no. So what? what so <laughs> sorry. What play was it that you were in that you played the lead prostitute? Oh, um. I think it was an amalgamation of different scenes from different Shakespearean plays that would oh, made okay. Raoul. Um, I couldn't tell you where the prostitute bit came in from. There was a couple of when I was the head. Um, we just had to sort of prance around the place, all right, darling, and all that kind of stuff, and sit on the, the laps of other actors' dads that had come to see them, you know, and proper embarrass them. How I didn't get knocked out, I didn't, I don't know. You know, get off my leg. All right, Sonny. Yeah, but uh, I couldn't think what play it was. I think it was literally just a number of different scenes we'd put in for a Shakespearean-themed assessment. Um, well, good stuff. there you go. So you, you got to write in a character in your show where you you get to play one of those prostitutes again and see <laughs> if the people recognize that it's you. Do a, a John Pertwee in The Green Death when he's got his, his wash bucket and he's... He's frock. That would be funny. Yeah. I might, I might hold you at that. Actually, yeah, <laughs> you'll have to watch out. I'll watch it for sure. <laughs> All right, Brian. So let's call it good. So I mean, I usually say live long and prosper. Of course, first off, I do it right. Live long and mm. prosper. But now, what would be a, a Doctor Who equivalent of that? Doctor Who equivalent? Ooh, I suppose the whole Alan Z. Tenant said that caught on quite well, didn't it? What is it? RNZ? What did he say? Allons-y. Oh, Allons-y. That's French, which means let's go there. Let's go there. Allons-y, monsieur. Nous avons besoin d'aller-y. Better accent than me, no? Yeah. I took French in high school. Did you? Oh. Yeah, and I drink La Croix. I did French kissing in high school. <laughs> what, what was that? I did French kissing in high school. Oh, yeah, French kissing. Yeah. Well, allons-y, monsieur. Allons-y, monsieur. Thank uh, you for having me on your show. Uh, it is my pleasure. We must meet again. We will. <laughs> the balcony in the moonlight. Ah, the moonlight. Uh, magnifique, formidable, and uh, bring bring your wig and lipstick and <laughs> my favorite perfume. Jeez. <laughs> All right, Dr. <laughs> Brian, till next time. And I appreciate you your continued commitment to saving the universe and, and the integrity of the timeline. We we all Thank you very much. We, we all offer our hearts to to you for that. All right, sir. Allons-y. Allons-y. Thank you very much.
fantastic creations emerging spontaneously from the space of life. For the benefit of all beings everywhere. We gotta 